The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Pandemic Hotline, how can I help you today? Uh, yeah, I've got a question about the PCR test used to diagnose COVID-19. Now, on the actual packaging of the test, it says this test should not be used to diagnose COVID-19. So, is there any problem using it to diagnose COVID-19? No problem at all. Makes sense, but it's a little confusing. Cool, but just to clarify, if the test comes back negative, you have it. If it comes back positive, you have it. Why, why even have a test kit? Well, that way you'll know for sure you have it when you maybe have it. Have a great day. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, September 24th, 2020. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Robert, I find it alarming that two politicians associated with conservatism have so clearly demonstrated themselves to be fascists when it comes to the COVID-19 lockdowns and mandated mask wearings. I'm speaking, of course, of Ontario's Premier Doug Ford and London, Ontario's Mayor Ed Holder, and I say shame on them both. And we will explain why right after extending our perpetual invitation to you to write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right social media links and our archived broadcasts. Consider offering your financial support. Everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of our 52-page full-color publication, Climate Essentials. Well, Robert, here we are. We're still in the two-week shutdown. <laughs> and I'm I think the curve you, is flattened, just, but I'm not sure. Yeah, something's getting flattened. Mm. But, you know, I have to share with you a couple of very recent articles just in the past week or so. This one from our own London Free Press here in the city of London. Ignore the COVID doom-mongers is the commentary by Chris Selly. And he starts it by saying, Ontario officially announced the first rollback of COVID-era freedoms on Thursday because the people of Ottawa, Toronto, and Peel region apparently cannot be trusted to congregate without spewing droplets Indoor private gatherings are henceforth limited to 10 people rather than 50 and outdoor gatherings to 25 rather than 100. There's going to be some severe, severe fines for people who want to ignore the regulations and guidelines, Premier Doug Ford warned. That makes some sense. New case numbers have been creeping up in those areas. Ontario's public health units consistently report that invitation-only gatherings are a major source of community spread. Perhaps most impressive was a cottage weekend that led to 40 cases, some requiring hospitalization and shutting down of two childcare centers. As for the surge in new cases, it has not been accompanied by a surge in new hospitalizations, ICU admissions, or deaths. Some argue these are lagging indicators and thus not a valid source of optimism. Keeping your guard up is still excellent advice, but so is tuning out the Cassandras, end quote. Well, that was just one commentary, but here's a couple of news items that I just pulled out of uh, last week, Wednesday, and Thursday's paper. Get this headline. Punish Corona punks, Mayor says. Folks who don't think the rules apply to them, 
think again. And I quote, Mayor Ed Holder vows to punish cowboys and punks among returning students who are disregarding the COVID-19 rules in London and potentially spreading the virus. I'm rightfully angry with those who flout the law and common sense, and they absolutely know better, he said Tuesday. Am I disappointed and disgusted with cowboys and the punks? I truly am. I don't get why they think their personal short-term enjoyment is more important than the health and safety of their friends and people they don't know. Shame on them, end quote. And I say shame on Ed Holder. And then there's Ford cracking the COVID-19 whip. London Free Press, September 17th, quote, Premier Doug Ford promised Wednesday to expand access to COVID-19 testing and threaten severe punishment for people breaking public health rules during social gatherings as his government addresses a recent spike in infections. Ford said the province expects to strike a deal to allow thousands of pharmacies to provide COVID-19 testing to asymptomatic people, end quote. And then finally, this one, City Dishes Out First Mask Bylaw Fines to Eatery Staff by Randy Richmond and Heather Rivers in the Free Press September 17th. And I quote, London bylaw officers issued the city's first fines under its mandatory mask bylaw to an operator and employee of a restaurant who were warned earlier about ignoring the COVID-19 rules. Neither the operator or employee was wearing a mask and each was fined $500, he said. And quote, the city has done all kinds of media to educate, to share the information about the mask bylaw, and yet still there are situations where employees are not wearing a mask, Katolik said, end quote. Well, Robert, any thoughts on that? <laughs> um, oh, yes, too many to cover this hour, but um, well, I, find that, <laughs> yeah. I find that the conservatives are the ones relishing uh, this COVID-19 uh, issue more so than the Liberals. I remember that, of course, back in January, February, March. It was the Liberal government, federally, uh, who were dragging their heels on doing anything. They had to be basically uh, shamed. Uh, it, it's the it's the r- r- proper word here because they listen to the media, but shamed by the media into doing anything like preventing flights from China, outsourcing PPE, all of those things. And it was the Conservatives who were chomping at the bit to uh, squash our freedoms, to punish an individual for the good of the collective. And I'm coming at this from a perspective of conservatism because you and I uh, are more affiliated with conservative friends than we are of any liberal friends, and I mean that a capital L liberal. So uh, this is, I guess, a wake-up call for my friends in the conservative movement that The philosophy of altruism is at play here. The notion that the individual must sacrifice his freedom and even his life sometimes to the collective good. And this is what Doug Ford is demonstrating and Ed Holder again in London and any other conservative, for example, the conservative, progressive conservative premier in New Brunswick, locking down that province. That's what they're demonstrating is their philosophy of altruism. They're doing the Christian thing, you could say. Well, that's not the way the Christians would do it, I, from the Christians I talk to. You know, you can hear no, no, it in no, that No, no, I'm not suggesting that all Christians no, no. would behave this way. But it's the philosophy, you are your brother's keeper, that you must sacrifice your freedom in your life for the good of the whole, or the collective, or the group, or the, you know, for the, the province. And that is what is being said all the time by Doug Ford. Remember what's his catchphrase? We're all in this together, right? 
In well, other sure, words, look at what he says here. The individual well, this doesn't is, this matter. This is actually Ed, this is Ed Holder. I don't get what, why they think their personal short-term enjoyment is more important than the health and safety of their friends. Exactly. Well, I'm sorry, but that short-term enjoyment is called living life on a daily basis. And this is no longer a short-term pandemic or a short-term interruption. They're not asking for us to give up our short-term enjoyment. They're asking us to give up life entirely. As they're a, asking to, us to give up all enjoyment. There's not, no they're end not to just this. doing that. They're actually harming us physically. When Doug, Absolutely. When Doug Ford came out and basically made the hospitals take their elderly, put them into long-term care facilities, out of the hospitals where they were being treated by professionals, into long-term care facilities where, unfortunately, professionalism is, uh, is, is lacking because the, a lot of these long-term health care professionals, so-called, uh, let these people die because they were afraid of getting COVID or, or, or for whatever reason, they were overworked, understaffed. But Doug Ford, the conservative premier, progressive premier, I should say, I mean, he, he uses the word conservative, but progressive conservative premier, is responsible for those deaths. He's responsible for the deaths of the people who couldn't get the care in the hospitals when they were needed, like kidney transplants. That was, that was deemed an elective surgery. You know, and there's one case well, of a person who who died because he couldn't get his surgery done because of the um, vacating of the hospitals. So this is what it's led to. It's led to people putting on masks who shouldn't be putting on masks. Children having to wear masks when it's detrimental to their health. Putting on dirty masks. People aren't going out there and uh, doing the proper technique for wearing a mask like a a, a nurse or a doctor would in a clinical environment. They are Nor disposable they. masks. They, they'd be spending a fortune on masks. Every time you touch your mask, it's basically contaminated. You know, it, it, this is absolutely asinine. It is dangerous. Doug Ford is a demagogue. He's playing on the emotions of the, of the populace. And unfortunately, it's working. He's up in the polls. Uh, Justin Trudeau, believe it or not, is up in the polls. Uh, the society that we live in is an altruistic society. It is a collectivist society, and that is what we're witnessing with Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau to a lesser degree, and uh, I, I'm just uh, really upset over it. <laughs> Can you tell him my voice? No, I guess not. I'm just inured. That's why they have to resort to the use of force, which is what the left always does. You know, there we have Katolik saying, we've gone to the media about the mask bylaw. Why don't you educate us about the masks? That is an education they have banned from us. What they're educating us about is that they have a gun, and we do not. You're using words like punks and stuff like that. Who's the punk here? And I thought your observation that the conservatives are always carrying out the liberals' wishes is a consistency we've, we have been commenting on since our association, Robert. It's always the liberals that come up with the wacko ideas and the conservatives who implement them. Oh, that's true. Or the NDP who come up with the ideas and the conservatives yeah. implement them. There's a show that we did back in 2018 with Paul McKeever where I outlined all of the socialist policies that conservative or progressive conservatives um, have implemented um, in this province and federally. And it, it would stagger any conservative friend of mine who's thinking that when they vote for a Doug Ford or a Stephen Harper or... Um, uh, Mike Harris in, in, in Ontario was doing something to prevent socialism, they are absolutely wrong. All you have to do is go back into history um, to find out that conservatives, at least in this province, implemented the beer monopoly, the liquor store monopoly. Uh, they brought in the OHIP, um, they st yeah. state-run medicine. That is all conservatives under Bill Davis. 
And, and they uh, banned private health insurance? Banned private health insurance. They brought in rent controls, conservative government. They uh, increased taxes uh, like nobody else's business. Uh, the conservative government of Brian Mulroney brought in the GST. Uh, mind you, I mean, he got rid of the excise, excise tax, but still there's, a, there's this GST. And it, the, the list, if people want it, is on that show. I forget the number of it, but it had to do with the election of 2018. You, you know, Robert, I recall having a conversation with Jim Chapman way back on Left, Right, and Center, which should still be accessible on our website. And I remember commenting to him that I could not think of a single step not a single step in the right direction towards the right that any conservative has ever taken. And I put the challenge out to everybody there, and they couldn't think of one either. Well, just look federally now at our new conservative party leader. They dropped the, uh, the name progressive conservative a few years ago with Harper and the United to Right, but they're as progressive as can be. Aaron O'Toole oh, is a globalist. He's already said that he's, you know, he signs onto the Paris Accord. Um, for environmental change. Uh, he's um, very much pushing the same agenda that the liberals are pushing because he's vying for the center, center-left. Right. That's, that's the, where this country is. It is a leftist country. If you just look at how people vote, if you don't even, yeah. if you take the people who vote conservative thinking that they're voting for a right-wing party, which they're not. No. Um, and you and see, just, there, and just there you just named part, part of the problem. There's no center-left. And then There's just no tally center. up the people who vote for the liberals and NDP and Green, two-thirds of the electorate vote those extreme leftists, two-thirds. Right. And, and, and the irony is that um, when you b bring in a liberal or a uh, liberal party or a provincially an NDP party, they're cronies. They take your money and run away with it and give it to their friends. They're not interested in implementing any particular policies of um, regulating business and all that, right. at least not to the extent that conservatives have in the past. It was the conservatives who brought in these regulations and big, huge social programs and social welfare programs. Look at um, Justin Trudeau. What's his beef these days? Oh, he's, he's giving money to his friends who pay his mother and his family, the WE Charity Foundation, mm -hmm. right? I mean, yeah. I mean, he was um, caught with the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Why? Because it would unfavorably treat his riding of Papineau in Montreal. And why? For his own personal gain, his own election and re-election abilities, right? So it's, I, I, would, I think I would rather, in this particular scenario, liberals in power because they're just corrupt crooks. They're, they're thieves and crooks, <laughs> right? They're not interested the way that the conservatives are in manipulating my freedom, destroying my freedom. Look at the way that Doug Ford called out the, the handful of protesters that went to Queen's Park there. Um, our friend Ted Harrelson was there covering it and the rebel media were there. There may have been 100, maybe 150, I don't know, but uh, what did Doug Ford call them? bunch of yahoos not caring about the welfare of others. Right. And, and, and Robert, consider what's going on here. Because of the few who aren't doing any demonstrable harm, by the way, our politicians have decided to punish all of us by forcing all of us to wear masks with a gun to our heads. And they're doing that to turn us all against each other. That is the tactic here. There's nothing about corona going on here. This is to get one part of the population pissed off at the other population. We also want to talk about what's happening in Toronto today because people did take to the streets demanding an end to restrictions meant to curb the COVID-19 infection rate. The virus is a smoke screen. It's a hoax. 
Now, this rally took place in front of the provincial legislature. Similar protests have popped up in other Canadian and American cities recently. They have drawn individuals concerned about the economic impact of restricting commerce. The Ontario Premier, Doug Ford, is not impressed with the protest. You see these people that are uh, absolutely irresponsible. They're, they're, it's reckless to do what they're doing. And personally, I think it's selfish. We, we have healthcare workers down the street at these hospitals working around the clock to protect the community. 99.9% .9 of the people in this province are working together side by side. That's the reason we were able to see a flattening of the curve. But then we, we have, you know, a bunch of yahoos out in the front of Queens Park sitting there protesting 20. that the place isn't open as they're breaking the law and putting everyone in jeopardy, putting themselves in jeopardy, putting the, the workers in jeopardy, and God forbid one of them end up in the hospital down the street. You know, we're better than this. David Menzies for Rebel News here in Toronto. Well, I'm here on the northern lawns of Queen's Park. And guess what, folks? This is the first challenge to the new harsh penalties regarding social gatherings. Now, 48 hours ago, it was announced by Premier Ford that indoor gatherings are limited to 10 people and outdoor gatherings are limited to 25. Well, the folks of so-called Yahoo Nation, they're still here as they've been here every Saturday since late April. Now, it's early on in the event. Um, there is at least 50 or 60 people here so far. So that's more than double the 25 limit. They cannot infringe on your charter rights. Where's my fine, Doug Ford? Where's our fines, Doug Ford? They're lying to you. Well, I'm with Kellyanne Wolf, and wow, what a brave lady she is. She's gone on record as saying she is the organizer of this event. So that means she faces fines starting at $10,000, going all the way to $100,000, maybe even jail time. Who knows? Kellyanne, are you worried that as the afternoon progresses, law enforcement is going to come in and give you a, a five or six figure fine? No, I'm not. And I'll tell you why, David. Under Section 2C of, of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, we are protected to protest. That's why Doug Ford, everybody has to start paying attention to the language that politicians use. Okay, he spoke of parties and gatherings uh, like that and social gatherings. This is not a social gathering. This is a protest. And you are 100% protected under your charter rights, which he cannot infringe on. He does not have the authority to infringe on um, by, by, by the charter. So you can protest. You're free to protest and gather and it's freedom of assembly so you know Kellyanne um, Doug Ford had a very rare Saturday press conference just an hour ago and he was asked the question if the social gatherings include protests and he said yes so do, that's completely contrary to what you're saying Absolutely. I guess this is something for the courts yeah, absolutely. So I and I encourage Doug Ford, if he wants to find somebody, come and find me. I encourage you to. 
So, because I will set a precedent across this entire country uh, as to what our laws mean and, and what they stand for. See, the government, David, they, they, the government likes to try and call upon um, the Emergency Measures Act as their source of authority for infringing upon the rights of Canadians, and that is completely false. On the first page of the Emergency Measures Act, it clearly states that this act is subject to the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. They do not have the authority. That is a blatant lie. And I suggest to the politicians out there, they become a little bit more familiar with their laws, considering they're supposed to be representing them and the people. It's just a symbol. We know that. There is no science behind any of this. You face, as a participant, $880 fine. The organizer faces a fine of at least $10,000. Do you think the cops are going to show up? And if they do, are you running for the hills? Well, I'll be laughing because you just financially devastated me and then you're giving me a $10,000 charge that I don't have. So, I mean, I'd love to tell that to the judge. Right. Extract my debt from me? I don't, I don't know. So the question as the marchers head on back to Queen's Park is that, is this the new normal going forward? It's just Premier Ford um, spouting a whole lot of tough talk without backing it up? Or will the Premier hit a boiling point in the weeks to come and say, that's it, that's the, the line in the sand, we are going to come down with all the heavy-handedness of the state, which he has been threatening but has not transpired as of yet. We will keep observing these protests, folks, and as soon as uh, Premier Ford does have law enforcement enact a ten or $100,000 fine, believe you me, we'll be amongst the first to report that. For Rebel News, I'm David the Menzoid Menzies. Well, Robert, I thought you would really appreciate this article, and this was written back in May on the 20th in the National Post by Terence Corcoran. And get the title, Stop the Rise of Anti-Capitalist Conservatism. <laughs> that almost says it all, but listen to this. Quote, The wanderings of conservatism can take you all over the ideological map, so it is best not to get too deep into any one of the lost trails along that side of the political spectrum. <laughs> An especially dodgy side trip is the one that leads to the following Google definition of conservatism as the holding of political views that favor free enterprise, private ownership, and socially conservative ideas. Looks like Google's lexiographers need a lesson or two in the latest trend of conservatism. In the full heat of the COVID-19 lockdown, an apparently broad anti-free enterprise movement is gaining traction within conservative circles. Scrap free enterprise from the definition. The truth, of course, is that free markets have never been at the heart of mainstream American or Canadian conservatism. The writer of a new book on the American version describes one of the qualities of conservatism as respect for the market as the generator of wealth, combined with a wariness of the market's corrosive impact on human values. Can you imagine that? Not exactly a glowing endorsement of free enterprise, which is no surprise given modern conservatism's general reluctance to accept capitalism as a primary foundation for its existence. My God, who else did I ever hear say that besides Ayn Rand, Robert? I'm telling you. Um, that's the great misconception, isn't it, Bob, that conservatives are capitalists or in favor of capitalism or even the free market. It couldn't be right. further from the truth. But listen, here's the conclusion. There is a branch, 
sometimes known as liberal conservatism, that is said to adhere to rigid free market principles, although as Wikipedia notes, liberal conservatism is not to be confused with conservative liberalism or libertarian conservatism. It, It seems important to set up the fact that conservatism is a burbling mishmash of economic perspectives that may or may not embrace free market capitalism. Today, in the midst of the pandemic lockdown, belief in free enterprise, including free trade and competition, seems to be sliding even further down the definitional ladder. In Canada, the torch for state industrial strategizing is being carried out by Sean Spear, a Conservative Party consultant, assistant professor at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, and a National Post columnist. In a new commentary co-written with Sam Duncan, also a conservative consultant and former policy director to Ontario Premier Doug Ford, the two Tory-backed rumors call for major industrial policy intervention as the foundation for future conservative economic policy. End quote. And what is that called, Robert? That's called fascism. Totally. simple. Totally. Another ism word. And the whole thing about this is that Whenever people support the Conservatives, they have hopes, don't they? Especially here in Canada, they say, oh, Stephen Harper will turn things around. Oh, Doug Ford, he's just like a Trump. They have hope that they're going to change something. And every single time their hope is dashed. It's like Charlie Brown and Lucy holding the football. Charlie (laughs) Brown always gets his hopes dashed because he never gets to kick that football. That is the nature of conservatism in Canada. Totally. They are fascists. That, that, i.e. they are socialists. They're on the left. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, every, every single political ideology is on the left. And, and let me explain. I, I, I've been jotting down a few notes recently because I, I, I had, a, I don't know, an epiphany, I guess you'd call it. Maybe it uh, came from listening to your show for so many years. But I, I, I wrote down these words and I've, I've started to take some notes on it. And I said, freedom isn't an ism. And I'll just read you out some of my notes, okay? Sure. And, and let me know if I'm going anywhere with this that's in the right direction. <laughs> and let's start off with a definition, of course. Capitalism. What's capitalism? First definition that pops up on the internet is an economic system. An economic system, right? Yeah, wrong, wrong already. Okay. In which the means of production and distribution are privately or corporately owned and development occurs through the accumulation and reinvestment of profits gained in a free market. Now, if you take that word, first of all, you're, you're, you're giving capital and a person who uses capital an ism and an ist ending, right? Which makes it a political ideology, but I'll get into that in a little minute. All, all I want to do is just envision a person, a free individual. Let's call him a street sweeper. He sweeps streets for a living, right? He makes a few bucks. He invests his saving, his capital, to buy, let's say, a shop, a firm or maybe an interest in somebody else's shop or firm or venture. Now he's a capitalist, right? He has become a capitalist and is practicing capitalism. Now, let's use that word because um, I I wouldn't use that word in the future because what he's doing is just simply living. (laughs) He's flourishing, he's prospering, he's taking his capital and and trying to make more money from that, right? Perfectly normal. There's no politics involved in this activity. Politics 
only enters the activity if a person's rights have been infringed. Let's say he, he buys a shop and somebody steals from his shop, or he, he gets into an agreement with another person to um, invest his money and that person absconds with it or incorrectly invests it against the contract. Now the state can come in, become involved in it, but not politically. The state, the government then becomes an instrument for justice, not politics in the sense that we think of politics. You know, any other ism is an imposition on a free individual. Socialism and communism would seek to take the street sweeper's capital or tax his profits and his ventures. Conservatism or conservatist might seek to govern his personal behavior, his likes or dislikes, personal habits, sexual desires, religious affiliations. That's typically what people think of conservatives. Uh, there's a religious element to it or a personal liberty element to it. Liberalism, uh, used in today's sense that is, would seek to take his earnings for their own personal gain. They're corrupt, they're corporatists, they're, they're um, corrupt, um, the cronies. And they would limit his free speech, force him as a businessman to have gender-neutral bathrooms, etc. Little things like that. Uh, death by a thousand cuts. Environmentalists might prevent him from profiting from natural resources on his land and add a whole host of regulations on the use of his personal property, putting him out of business in most cases. The fascist, just like the socialist, indeed the words are pretty much interchangeable, is a person who would allow the free person to own his property. Yay! and capital, yay, but would intervene in, in, in the use of said property and the capital through taxes and regulations. In other words, you'd have the responsibility of ownership, but none of the freedom or none of the benefits of being able to use your stuff because the state would tell you exactly what to do with it. That's fascism. That's the society we live in today. All of these isms, socialism, communism, conservatism, liberalism, environmentalism, fascism, and a whole host of other isms, they're political ideologies whose intent and purpose is to impose by force rules and regulations upon an innocent free man who is otherwise not harming anybody. A capitalist, on the other hand, imposes nothing on anyone. He's going about his life freely trading with others with their consent. Now, Karl Marx used the term capitalist. He didn't coin it. I think it was William Makepeace Thackeray who probably used it first, but Karl Marx first used it as a pejorative. And in this case, he was brilliant. Mark that. I said Karl Marx was brilliant. <laughs> he was. Oh, no, they, he, they, know how to, they know how to manipulate language and epistemology, which is why the right has been losing. Oh, yeah. Well, he took what was the default and natural state of human living, in other words, making a living through mutual benefit and consent with others, and he made it into a political ideology. He polarized the free man with the statist, the right with the left. And by right, of course, I mean freedom, right? which is not an ism. He polarized it. Now the free man was left to defend what to him was second nature. He was put on the defensive. And since the publication of Das Kapital, has yet to find the words to defend that which upon up until this point needed no defense. It wasn't until Ayn Rand came along with the publication of Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal in 1966, did anybody have the concepts necessary to refute the left and their attacks on freedom. So those are some of the notes I've got there, Bob. But, but apparently it's, it's, um, it jives what you've been saying recently, and especially in your last episode, where you're saying that on the left are all political ideologies, every single one of them, including conservatism. And on the right, 
you don't have a political ideology. You have a free individual. You have the natural state of man left to his own devices to trade freely with others with consent. So that's the right we talk about. And you're right on in, in that traditional so-called political spectrum that puts communism on the left and fascism on the right. That whole spectrum is of the left. Okay, that's the right and left wing of the left ideology. Correct. Totally agree. Capitalism was destroyed by the morality of altruism. Capitalism is based on individual rights, not on the sacrifice of the individual to the alleged public good of the collective. Capitalism and altruism are incompatible. It's one or the other. It's too late for compromises, for platitudes, and for aspirin tablets. There is no way to save capitalism, or freedom, or civilization, or America, except by intellectual surgery. That is, by destroying the source of the destruction, by rejecting the morality of altruism. It is obvious that with this sort of theoretical equipment and with an unbroken record of defeats, concessions, compromises and betrayals in practice, today's conservatives are futile, impotent and culturally dead. They have nothing to offer and can achieve nothing. They can only help to destroy intellectual standards, to disintegrate thought, to discredit capitalism and to accelerate this country's uncontested collapse into despair and dictatorship. But to those of you who do wish to contest it, particularly those of you who are young and are not ready to surrender, I want to give a warning. Nothing is as dead as the stillborn. Nothing is as futile as a movement without goals, or a crusade without ideals, or a battle without ammunition. A bad argument is worse than ineffectual. It lends credence to the arguments of your opponents. A half battle is worse than none. It does not end in mere defeat. It helps and hastens the victory of your enemies. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And when I say around the world, a lot of people don't realize that we're on shortwave, channel 292, broadcasting out of Ingolstadt, Germany, to um, Europe and uh, a lot of Eastern or Western Asia. And we're broadcasting out of Monticello, Maine, on WBCQ, the planet on shortwave, which can reach all the way down to Cuba. And boy, do they ever need it down there, just like they <laughs> need it in California. Anyway, <laughs> we were talking about capitalism, we were talking about freedom, and you know, I've recently had some conversations and videos that I've done with Salim Mansur, who's been on our show many a time, professor of uh, political science at University of Western Ontario, now Professor Emeritus, and we were always talking about how Canada was a free country and we were losing our freedom, but of late, I've been thinking that, you know, was it Canada ever a free country? Seriously, were we ever free in the sense that uh, I just described of a free individual not imposed upon by any ism? And I think the answer is no. No, we've never been a truly 
free nation. We've had the illusion of freedom. People think that, you know, even when you're a kid, you say, hey, it's a free country. You know, that there's that little, uh, little pat phrase that we use when people say, can I do this? Can I do that? It's a free country. No, no, it, it isn't. And I don't think it ever was. And I think if you go back in history, you'll, you'll see that, well, what? In the First World War, we had conscription. <laughs> you think forcing people to wear a mask is something? How about forcing them to put on a uniform, go overseas and fight for a bunch of inbred families having a squabble, you know, and dying? That's an imposition on your freedom right there. And that was Canada in 1917. Uh, and, and even in the Second World War, most of it was volunteers, of course, but during the end of the war, there was conscription. Now, I don't think any of those conscripts ended up going overseas, but still your freedom was abridged. And I'm talking about totally abridged. I mean, you, your life was put on the line. You were meant to go and stand in, a, in front of Germans, uh, Nazis, Right now, mind you, I mean, in retrospect, you think that's a great cause, but no, no, conscription is always evil. And then in nineteen was it nineteen seventeen? We had the income tax act, and all of a sudden, oh, now now you have to give part of your capital, your savings, to the government. What for? Well, if you're liberal, they're going to their friends. If you're conservative, it it'll be going to welfare. Um, so, have we ever been free? No. But today it is becoming really clear that Canada is not a free nation. It is a despotic, fascist country. I'm reminded of Scottish philosopher John McMurray, and I've read this quote many times on the show because this so speaks to your point. Quote, We flatter ourselves too much when we imagine that we love freedom and strive wholeheartedly towards freedom. On the contrary, there are few things that we fear so much. No doubt we find the idea of freedom most attractive, but the reality is another matter. I see history in its concrete reality, not as man struggled to win his freedom in a world that frustrates his efforts, but as a record of the twists and evasions by which men seek to escape from freedom in a world which thrusts it remorselessly upon them. The determination which oppresses us is not the opposite of freedom, for what is determined is that man shall be free. Here then is the paradox of freedom. We are free to choose between freedom and security. And Robert, the security part is all the left side. <laughs> this choice is not voluntary, nor is it once for all. It is compulsory and perpetual. For the demand for security is the reflection of our fear, while freedom is the expression of reality. If we use our freedom to escape from freedom, we frustrate ourselves. If we persist in this choice, we destroy ourselves. If we aim at security, we aim at the impossible and succeed only in multiplying the occasions of fear and magnifying our need for security. There is no security for us except in choosing freedom, for our insecurity is our fear, and to choose freedom is to choose triumph over fear. Only in the struggle to increase it can we hope to maintain the freedom we've already achieved, end quote. And of course, you hear a lot of people saying that fear is the virus, right? And I ran into so many people, you know, I, and you talk to them about freedom and why we need freedom. And the reaction is, well, what are you talking about? I'm already free. Mm -hmm. You know, I get that all the time. And the, and the only reason they think they're free is because someone at that point in time isn't, hasn't got a gun to their head. And, and again, there are rational rules and regulations. 
Oh, of and course. you always get them thrown at you when you're trying to fight an irrational one. What, do you want to drive on the left-hand side of the road when everybody's on the right? You know, that crap that you get all the time? Yes, of course, yeah. Who's going to build the roads, that kind of thing. Uh, no, what, <laughs> what, what, what we're trying to distinguish here is between government as a system of justice and government as a political system, you know, and imposing itself on, on other people rather than reacting to a transgression. And people aren't getting that distinction. I mean, we always say in the Freedom Party, the purpose of government is to protect people's freedom of choice. In other words, protect. In other words, it is it stay it stands in the background. And as soon as somebody picks up a gun and uses it against somebody's consent or whatever, or steals or robs or frauds, then the government steps in. But what do we have? We have a Doug Ford and a Justin Trudeau and every other premier congresswoman and senator in the United States and all over the world, what they do is like a, like a bureaucrat. What's the job of a bureaucrat? To perpetuate the bureaucracy, of course, to make sure that their bureaucracy is essential and can't be done away with, to increase the budget of the bureaucracy. So what's a politician do now the, these days? A politician thinks it's his job since he was elected to govern, to actually govern as an activity. Like everybody wants a legacy when they get into politics whether it's imposing um, a socialist system of medicine, you know, that's Obama's, Obamacare, oh, his legacy, right? That's what they thrive on. That's what they, you know, live on is notoriety, fame, celebrity status, because they, yeah, I would, they I, I did something. I would say 99% of politicians don't have a clue about philosophy. Oh, no, they don't of course un- not. No. They, don't, they don't understand the nature of government, and this is devastating, I think. Oh, it is. And if you go back and look at some of the, I don't know, the old newsreels of the 50s, things like um, high school students sitting down talking about freedom. And they talk about right of contract and free speech and things like that. You go into school today, you're not going to find anything like that. You're going to talk about how we owe each other a living, right? How we, how we should sacrifice ourselves for the good of the collective. Total, total right. stuff right out of Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union. Which, by the and way, most are people interchangeable. Don't, don't, most people don't realize it because they, they don't know anything about Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union. Some people don't even know what communism is. Yeah, or know. capitalism. So, what did Rand call her book? Capitalism, the unknown ideal. Let's take that apart for a second. First of all, it's an ism, right? And, and the way she used it, she didn't use it in an economic sense per se. She used it in the sense that we use it. In, that, in, other, in other words, it's a freedom, right? Capitalism is freedom, yeah. free, to, free to, to do your activities. The unknown, of course it's unknown, because the school system has failed us. Every, every institution that we have, the universities, whatever, have failed us because they don't know the, the concepts and the terms necessary to describe a free individual. And ideal, it's an ideal, it's not realized. It is something you strive for. And that's where I'll come back to what I was talking about before, is Canada a free nation? No, but there are elements and people in our society who strive to find that capitalism or free ideal. We strive for freedom. Whenever our liberties are taken away, there is a small minority of people who will uh, fight it. And we're part of that small minority and our friends are part of that small minority. But unfortunately, the vast majority of Canadians have no idea about capitalism, freedom, right versus left, political philosophy, and we're just being uh, swept away uh, to this globalist communist um, agenda of our politicians and our philosophers. Remember, remember, I think politicians are 
uh, downstream from culture. Um, our culture is leftist. Our culture is altruistic, sacrifice for the good of the whole, the tribe, the collective, the group, the identity, your race, you know, and that's our culture. And we've got to break free of it. Capitalism is not the system of the past. It is the system of the future, if mankind is to have a future. Those who wish to fight for it must discard the title of conservatives. Conservatism has always been a misleading name, inappropriate to America. Today, there is nothing left to conserve. The established political philosophy, the intellectual orthodoxy, and the status quo are collectivism. Those who reject all the basic premises of collectivism are radicals in the proper sense of the word. Radical means fundamental. Today, the fighters for capitalism have to be not bankrupt conservatives, but new radicals, new intellectuals, and, above all, new dedicated moralists. It is not by means of evasion that one saves civilization. It is not by means of empty slogans that one saves the world perishing for lack of intellectual leadership. It is not by means of ignoring its causes that one cures a deadly disease. So long as the conservatives ignore the issue of what destroyed capitalism and merely plead with men to go back, they cannot escape the question of back to what? And none of their evasions can camouflage the fact that the implicit answer is back to an earlier stage of the cancer which is devouring us today and which has almost reached its terminal stage. That cancer is the morality of altruism. So long as the conservatives evade the issue of altruism, all of their pleas and arguments amount in essence to this. Why can't we just go back to the 19th century when capitalism and altruism seemed somehow to coexist? Why do we have to go to extremes and think of surgery when the early stages of the cancer were painless? The answer is that the facts of reality and of history and of philosophy are not to be evaded. If you want to fight for capitalism, there is only one type of argument that you should adopt, the only one that can ever win in a moral issue, the argument from self-esteem. This means the argument from man's right to exist, from man's inalienable individual right to his own life. I will not attempt in this brief discussion to present to you the moral code which is based on that argument and which is the antithesis of altruism, the objectivist morality of rational self-interest. Those of you who are interested will find it presented in Atlas Shrugged. I will quote from my book for the new intellectual. Quote, the world crisis of today is a moral crisis, and nothing less than a moral revolution can resolve it. A moral revolution to sanction and complete the political achievement of the American Revolution. The new intellectual must fight for capitalism not as a practical issue, not as an economic issue, 
but with the most righteous pride as a moral issue. That is what capitalism deserves, and nothing less will save it. Close quote. On Tuesday, Ontario's progressive conservative government passed Bill 195. Now, what Bill 195 does is give the government the power to extend COVID-19 emergency measures for months at a time for the next two years and not even have any kind of debate in the legislature when doing so. Now, a lot of people have slammed this bill as being an act of overreach and undemocratic and even downright draconian. In fact, the MPP for Cambridge, Belinda Karaholius, she also had concerns with the bill and she voted against her own government in the passing of Bill 195. That did not go down well with Premier Doug Ford, who the very next day kicked Ms. Karaholios out of caucus. She now sits as an independent and she joins a, I guess, a long list of MPPs who are not towing the party line to lose their position in caucus, including Jim Wilson, Randy Hillier, and Amanda Samard. Well, here we are, Robert. We're still in the middle of this ridiculous COVID shutdown. And you know, a lot of people are wondering what is it all about and how do the things that, that we're talking about relate to this and i have always found it significant that the very first essay published by ayn rand in the ayn rand letter was entitled credibility and polarization the tactics of obliterating dissent on fundamental principles and here's a chilling quote from that essay but does it ever take on meaning when you look at what's going on out there today quote in the absence of intellectual polarization, we are witnessing the growth of the ugliest kind of divisiveness or existential polarization, if you will, pressure group warfare. The country is splitting into dozens of blind, deaf, but screaming camps, each drawn together not by loyalty to an idea, but by the accident of race, age, sex, religious creed, or the frantic whim of a given moment, not by values held in common, but by a common hatred of some other group, not by choice, but by terror." End quote. Sound familiar? She was brilliant. I mean, that was probably written, what, about uh, 50 years ago. Yeah. It's 1971, uh, October 11th. And nothing has changed. This kind, this kind of um, understanding is what uh, most of the freedom fighters in the world don't understand. They don't have the, the concepts, the terminology, the intellectual ammunition to be able to fight off the left. And by, by the left, I'm grouping conservatives in there as well. I've got Doug Ford's Twitter feed up here in front of me. And uh, uh, what's the latest one from an hour ago? To help stop the spread of COVID-19, uh, our government is reducing limits on the number of people allowed to attend social gatherings and private parties. How we face the next surge and hold off the next wave will depend on everybody continuing to follow public health rules. This sounds to me, as a person who loves freedom, to be right out of the Nazi playbook or Saul Alinsky's playbook. They're playing on fear. That's the definition of a demagogue, by the way, playing oh, yeah. on the oh. fear. 
people always ask the questions, how did Germany get the way it was in the 30s? How did they uh, elect a Hitler? How did they uh, attend these marches and wave as the Nazi troops, you know, strolled through the streets of um, Austria and, and all that? It's because they were part of a collective and they felt part of a group and everybody was all in it together and there was a common enemy, meaning either the Jew or um, reparations for World War I and, and the rest of Europe. And so they all felt a collective identity. It was collectivism. And here's Doug Ford saying, we're all in this together. We must sacrifice for the good of the, 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 the nation, the province, the, you know, your, your family, your friends, and all of that. He's a demagogue. And you know, here again, you, you get the problem with everything the conservatives are doing. Is it any wonder that so many people still associate calling them right and then so everybody thinks, well, the right must be fascism, because look at Ford, <laughs> look at Ed Holder, look at all these people who used to be conservatives or are conservatives. Here's a tweet from Ford from yesterday. I, I responded to it. Like, he said, nothing is more important than health care. That was his tweet. Nothing. Not even freedom, you know? I, I, I came back with that sort of thing. You know, like freedom isn't more important than health care. And I said to him, I would rather be um, a sick um, free man than a healthy slave. And that's what this guy is breeding. He's breeding healthy slaves. And that's not even true. He's actually killing oh, I people. I, I'm so embarrassed to watch him. And I'm more embarrassed by the people who think he's doing a great job. Yeah. You know, you know Ayn Rand rego regarded the pejorative use of the word polarization as an anti-concept. And she wrote, quote, This term means a situation in which men hold opposite contrasting views or ideas and goals or values. When used as a pejorative, it means that men should not differ in their views, ideas, goals, and values, that such differences are evil, that men must not disagree. Like children and savages, they believe that human wishes are omnipotent, that everything would be all right if only we'd all agree on it, and that anything can be solved by cooperation, negotiation, and compromise, with no noteworthy dissenters but one, reality. <laughs> yeah. End quote. And another characteristic, I guess, of... Uh demagoguery or a tyrannical state or a fascist state is that the rulers, uh, the rules don't apply to them. Doug Ford is a, an excellent example of that. I mean, people remember back, I think it was March when he said, don't go to cottage country. Cottage country doesn't need people from Toronto going up to the Kawarthas, you know, and spreading their disease. So what does this guy do? He goes up to his cottage. Oh, I was checking on the plumbing, he says. Well, yes, so, but you just broke your own rule, you fascist. <laughs> and what did he do just the other week? He attended a wedding. And the picture from the wedding shows nobody wearing a mask. Oh, I'm sorry, one person wearing a mask, and that was the photographer. <laughs> probably, forced yeah, to, probably forced to wear the mask because he's a plebe. And the rest of them were uh, mostly conservative uh, members of parliament, their wives and friends, and Doug Ford's there. Nobody wearing a mask of that group. Nobody social distancing. They're all shaking hands and hugging each other, and it was uh, one rule for thee and one rule for me. And Doug Ford is a demagogue, tyrannical leader who is playing us, and he's playing the conservative base too, because again, people vote conservative, my, my friends vote conservative for hope, right? And their hopes yeah. are always dashed. There's even a worse aspect to it. I think all of this is designed to get us angry with each other. And it comes down to these clear definitions. Ayn Rand made a fascinating observation, quote, the worst of it is 
Not that this policy turns the men who act in good faith into easy prey for the frauds and manipulators. <laughs> We've seen that all around us, aren't we? The worst of it is the genuine misunderstandings between honest men who take the loose verbiage to mean two opposite things. If there is a surer way to breed mistrust and bitterness, I do not know of it. End quote. Isn't that an amazing observation? A absolutely true. It, it, what, all you have to do to find out wh what is the purpose of something is to look at the effect of it. And the effect is animosity toward your fellow human being. He's turned it into people who follow rules versus those who do not. Yeah. It's, just, it's tearing us apart. And I think, like I say, that is the intent. It may be a subconscious intent on a, on a part of a Doug Ford, um, who, by the way, I, I, I gave him the benefit of doubt at the beginning of this uh, nonsense. And I thought, well, look, either the guy is perfectly evil or he's just stupid. He looks like a, a deer caught in the headlights of a car barreling down on him, the car being COVID-19, right? And he's just following the diktats of um, other people who know better than him, you know, World Health Organization, Tedros or, mm. or Justin Trudeau or whoever, right? And he's just following along. And I thought that that's the way it was at the beginning. He's just a fool. Well, I've changed my mind. No, no, he's evil. He's evil because people have been telling him exactly what's been going on. Hydroxychloroquine and zinc are effective uh, prophylaxis against this disease. No, won't believe it won't distribute it, won't allow doctors to prescribe it. He's, people have told him, caseloads mean nothing. His own health minister has said, don't put any faith in the number of caseloads because half of them are false. She said that. False positives. Mm -hmm. And yet, what, did he, what does he do? He sees an increase in caseloads, mainly because there's an increase in testing, and says, we've got to have this lockdown again. We've got to restrict everybody again. No, he's evil. Yeah, And we have to identify him as such. That polarizes him on the left. Quit thinking this guy's a conservative on the right. Just got a couple of minutes to wrap up, Robert, and I thought I'd conclude with what Ayn Rand says is a solution to this whole problem, including our whole COVID-19 issue. Here's Ayn Rand, and I'm going to quote, Is there a solution? Yes. In its present state, what this country needs above all is the clarifying, reassuring, confidence and credibility-inspiring guidance of fundamental principles in modern parlance, intellectual polarization. This would bring to our cultural atmosphere an all but forgotten quality, honesty, with its corollary, clarity. It would establish the minimum requirement of civilized discourse, that the proponents of ideas strive to make themselves understood and lay all their cards on their table, including their axioms. It would leave no significant audience or influence to those who specialize in the unintelligible, or preach blatant contradictions, or proclaim ends with total unconcern for means, there's a big issue, or hold fundamental principles they would not dare name openly, or disseminate anti-concepts. Every one of these things she's talking about is what's going on with this COVID thing. It would enable men to know their own stand and that of their adversaries. Man, that hits the nail on the head. What they would lose is the sense of suffocating in a smog of impotent bewilderment. What if men disagree, you ask? No open disagreement can be as destructive as the secret, nameless, virulent hostility now splintering this country, end quote. 
Yes, so, a brilliant, a brilliant quote by a brilliant woman, and um, yes. everybody should read Rand. It'll, it'll, and, it will arm you with the intellectual absolutely. ammunition you need to fight. You know, it gives you some idea of how long the West's drift to the left has been well underway. Oh yeah. That being said, I'm very pleased to note that intellectual polarization is one thing that we have always been striving towards, so here is inviting everyone to get polarized when you join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white, under the bedclothes. Everything will be alright. I'm so stressed out. I watched way too much news the last three days. That doesn't make you less stressed out. They're all—they're excited. I hate them. They look—they're like—they've all got like boners of excitement. They're like, <laughs> you want to hear something else scary? I'm like, no. <laughs>